Thank you very much, Karen. Let's pray together. Father, how very grateful we are for grace. How grateful we are for Christ. How grateful we are for the blood of Christ, in whom we have forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, along with many, many other items. It's our desire to be responsive to your work in us, because we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Again, Father, as we interact with your word and consider some applications, we want to be people We're obedient for your glory, for it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Last week was Father's Day. I did a part one on men, boys, husbands, fathers. This morning is part two. It's a two-part series, so this is it as far as dealing with that. So whether you're a teenager, whether you're a husband, a father, a man, or a young guy, I encourage you to apply what we discuss from Scripture. There's an older gentleman that served in the military of our country for a number of years. He was raised in a local church. And in his late teen years and early 20s, he drifted some from the Lord. He married when he came home from the military, and several years later, he ended up in a divorce. He remarried, and he worked faithfully for the same company for 30-plus years. He just was faithful and plodded along day by day. He's a man of few words, even when asked a question. So when you hear him talk, you better listen, because he has something important to say. He invested his life or has invested his life in people behind the scenes, just helping people, interacting with people behind the scenes. He took an interest in younger men and teens and seek to encourage them and spur them on in walking with God. He retired. Rather than sitting back and doing nothing, he continued to invest his life in people. He never made a name for himself to this day. If you ask anyone outside of our community, they wouldn't recognize him. But he has been content to be faithful, walking with God, using the gifts and abilities that God has given to him. He remains to this day a faithful husband, a faithful father, a faithful grandfather, a faithful believer. He's just steadfast. In the midst of hurts and trials and struggles within the family and some outside of the family. He continues to be a man who rejects passivity, accepts responsibility, and leads courageously looking for a greater reward. He continues to walk with God. Now, if I were to mention his name, probably many of you would... Recognize him. Men, husbands, fathers, young men, teen guys impact others very, very deeply. And we as men, as husbands and fathers, as young men and 
teen guys and boys struggle at times in life. But God has given us a calling. He wants us to live for his glory in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of ups and downs that we may struggle with. We want to read several passages of scripture this morning. Some of them we read last week. I think they bear repeating. Let's start with Genesis chapter 3. We find in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, the first man, the first woman, but particularly focusing on Adam. Genesis 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we meet from fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you were in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4. The first Adam was tempted. The second Adam, Christ, was also tempted. But we find that there's a much different outcome. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand in the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Ephesians chapter 5 beginning with verse 25. 
Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hateth his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. We are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We also read Ephesians 5, and, or I'm sorry, Hebrews 5, 7 through 10, and Hebrews 12, which talk about Christ and his obedience last week. But as you contrast the first man, Adam, with Christ, we find that Adam was passive. Christ was aggressive. Adam listened to Eve. Christ led courageously. Adam blamed Eve. Christ accepted responsibility. Adam was disobedient. He brought sin. Christ was obedient. And he brought life. As you read these passages and you ponder on them along with parallel passages, and as I stated last week, I'd spent hours in studying passages and pondering them, and I'm not sharing that this morning. We find that Godly, Christ-like men seek to display rejecting passivity. Seek to display accepting responsibility. Seek to display leading courageously. Seek to live expecting a greater reward, something beyond the here and the now. And the resources for obedience are provided through the Lord, through Christ, through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Men, we have the names and attributes of God, the works of God, the Lord at work in our life. We have a position in Christ, redemption, forgiveness, died with Christ, raised with Christ, and dozens of other things that we have in Christ. We have the local body of Christ that involves shepherding, that involves corporate worship, that involves body life that are essential as we seek to be godly men. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He is alive. He is real. He is active at work in our lives. We have the written word, Scripture, to respond to in day-by-day living. In light of the passages we read, in light of the resources that we have in Christ, some thoughts as it relates to 
rejecting passivity, which we covered last week, but then accepting responsibility as men, as husbands, as fathers, as young men. As we accept responsibility, we seek to have a plan. I'm not saying it's written, but we know what it is. To walk with God, to walk with Christ, to mature, to develop in character and integrity. What does God want? And then working out the salvation with fear and trembling. I have observed houses being built over the years. And since Danny's a contractor now and he goes, builds houses, I've been to almost every house that he has built. And I just drive by, sometimes I stop, sometimes I just observe. But I notice they get a little piece of paper out, it's not so little, you know, called a blueprint. And they follow the blueprint, and when it's done, the desired goal is achieved. As men, as husbands, as fathers, what blueprint are we following? To be men of integrity, of character, of being. Accepting responsibility. What does God want us to be? Some patterns that we would follow. Models in daily life. Seeking to model in daily life what God desires and what he desires in his family. Guys, if we have any integrity about us at all, we have to admit we sin, we fail, we blow it. And one of the greatest things you can model for your wife, for your kids, for your grandkids is to show them how to handle sin, how to handle failure, how to handle blowing it. By going to your wife, by going to your kids, by going to your boss or a neighbor and saying, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I sinned. Will you forgive me? No, just modeling what you want. Just read yesterday. Can't remember who initially stated The greatest thing a husband can give to his children is to love their mother. That's just providing an example. Modeling what you would like to see in your kids. Chooses not to blame others. Whether it's wife, children, boss, government, drivers, and so on. Oh, it's so easy to blame others. We guys can do that pretty quickly if we're not careful. Christ didn't blame. He took responsibility. Recognizing that what one sows today will be reaped in the future. What you sow in terms of time, in in terms of money, in terms of words, attitudes, and thoughts. It may be many years later. But we reap what we sow. Christ sowed obedience on this earth. So that in the present, for some 2,000 years, he could be a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews chapter 5. He sowed, he reaped. Accepting responsibility, guarding our minds, our thoughts, our mental intake. Seeking to renew the mind. How many times do our minds go down the wrong path? And we have to come back to renew our minds again and again. 
And the fact that we go down the wrong path and we're tempted to get down the wrong path doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us. James 1, 13 through 15 talks about that. We're being tempted, but how do we respond? Accepting responsibility means accepting the consequences of decisions. Christ accepted the consequences of his decision. He came to this earth, taking upon himself human form. In the garden, Father, be possibly remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The consequence of that decision was to go to the cross. But also to rise from the dead. To be our savior, to be our high priest. Accepting responsibility involves pursuing moral purity with passion and seeking help if necessary. Wanting to be morally pure. Moving in that direction. And if there has been failures, been struggle, still saying, God, I want to get on track because I'm leaving a legacy for others. Years ago, talking to an older guy, he was in his 70s, and I uh, can't remember if I asked him or someone with me asked him, said to the guy, does the temptation to moral impurity or to impurity morally ever end? And he said, no. He said, I'm in my 70s, there's still a battle at times but I'm seeking to walk faithfully. Accepting responsibility pursues accountability, rebuke, correction. Listening rather than defending. Guys, we have a tendency to push away people who get too close to us. And speak too much truth into our lives. Beware. That's a very dangerous position to be. When you push other people away. Especially godly men. We need. Rebuke. Accountability. And correction. And listening. Not very many men have taken me up on this, but I've stated for many years, you're welcome to come and check my computer anytime you want to see what I've done with my computer. I need that. Whether anyone ever checks it or not, I know that the possibility is there. I need that accountability. We need rebuke. We need correction. The older I get, the more I realize how much I need accountability, rebuke, correction, and listening. Accepting responsibility. Christ led courageously. Adam was passive. Accepting the reality that leadership has at its core modeling a character and integrity of being a holiness. One cannot lead with an empty inside. How many times have children had a father say to them, do as I 
say, not as I do. Children want to hear from a father. Walk with God as I walk with God. I've been seeking to model what you do when you're successful. Model what you do when you fail, what to do when you sin, and so on. Just modeling. I shared this before, maybe not in the context of a church, but I worked for a company, Little Colt, when I was got out of high school one summer, and between two years of or a year of college, the second year of college, and I found it interesting observing that we had a boss one day, and Monday we'd have a boss, Tuesday we'd have a different boss, Wednesday we'd have Monday's boss, Thursday we'd have Tuesday's boss, and so on. Production on the one day was up ten percent. And it all went back to the boss because the one boss had integrity and the other boss did not. Nothing was ever said. Men just worked differently for the one versus the other. Fathers, men, guys, except leadership involves character modeling. Choose to think God's character names, works, your position in Christ, Apply these in your daily life. We can't. God is at work in us. We respond to God's grace at work in us. We respond to the power that is at work in us in the person of Christ. And that's why we can handle it when we're successful or we blow it, or handle it when we blow it, and so on. Because we're choosing to rest in Christ. Seek counsel, wisdom, advice from older men. Ties in with what I said earlier. Open to accountability. Ask others to speak truth into your life. Do you ever go to someone, guys, and someone older that you may respect that has invested in your life and say, would you just tell me what you see in my life? What am I doing well? How am I blowing it? What do I need to change in my life? Where do you think I need wisdom? And then just... Listen. That goes counter to what the world tells us. That we're to be men. We're to be our own men of our own making. We're not to be men of our own making. We're part of a body. We're part of Christ. God is at work in us. The Spirit is at work in us. We need others to speak truth into us. I'm thankful for a couple men that were my senior by many years. By the time I was 25, would have quite strongly pointed some things out to my, in my life that were not on target. To teach me to lead in a godly way. And it didn't stop at 25, by the way. That's still happening. Leading courageously takes time for consistent family worship. Makes a difference in life. Takes time for consistent family corporate worship, a family worshiping together. Leading courageously. Deeply concerned about what comes into the lives of his wife, his children, via music, phones, internet, TV, radio, and so on. 
That's part of leading courageously, what comes into the home. Passionate concern about that. Because minds are molded and made. While kids are growing up. While wife responds. And so on. Sees that children are disciplined in a biblical manner. Now I'm not talking those that are 18, 19, and 20 and so on. As far as physical correction and so on. But still, concerned about them and seeking to interact with them. By the way, being a father does not stop when kids turn 18. There's a lie that's been floating around for many years that I've heard repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly from kids. When I turn 18, then I can do as I please. And I've heard parents say, well, when my child turns 18, I'm done. God forbid. As long as my father was alive, as long as Ruth Ann's dad was alive, I needed their godly input in my life. The older they got, the wiser they became. So why shouldn't I, as a 30-year-old, seek their wisdom? Guys, When your kids turn 18, don't step back and say, I'm done. (laughs) Invest in them, whether they want to hear or not. Maybe you can't always invest, but still be involved in their lives. See that the family has adequate time together, living a quiet life, whatever that looks like. I'm not trying to spell that out in detail. And that may mean saying no to many good items. Sometimes the pace of life is too fast to take care of the core items. Most of the time I didn't agree with Dad. But Dad said there's certain things will take place in our family. And that means other things must go. Whether he was right or wrong, I didn't think he was right at the time. But accepted it. Because he said these cores must stay in place. Men, husbands, fathers, young men, boys, who are rejecting, rejecting passivity, accepting responsibility, seeking to lead courageously, and expecting a greater reward. Guys, as we live in any sensitivity to God whatsoever, we can anticipate standing before God and hearing, well done, due to living well. The judgment is not something that we fear. Judgment is something that we can anticipate. I spent, let's see, 17, 18 years, 19 years, I guess if I count, seminary in in school. There was a few tests in those years of schooling that I feared. Most of them I did not fear. You say, why didn't you fear the test? Because I studied. I didn't wait till the night before. I would study for weeks, come home from class, review the material for the day, come home from class another time, review the material from the previous class and today's class, so that the night before I basically didn't have to study. I got a test tomorrow, good. I know the material, I'll do okay. 
The tests that I feared were those that I didn't study for, maybe crammed the night before. As we live well, guys, we're anticipating a judgment in the future. We're anticipating a reward, and we don't live in fear of that, but in expectation of a reward. James 1 talks about that in the context of trials. Greater reward, understanding the joy of tough obedience to the Lord, even when others will not understand. Christ is in the garden. Eight of the disciples are sleeping. Three went a little further with him. They end up sleeping, and Jesus goes. And what does he do? He exercises some tough obedience, very tough obedience. His disciples didn't understand him. They said, try to escape if you can. But he obeyed. Men, sometimes we choose to obey even though it's costly. Expecting greater reward, pursuing an honorable name by living from the inside out. Renewing the mind, thinking well. Honorable name. Values children who love God, respect authority, live for God's glory more than their being well known, excelling in sports, having a good education, or earning big money. I realize all children will not love God. They'll not all respect authority. They'll not all live for God's glory. But I'm talking valuing, excelling, or loving God, respect authority, living for God's glory more than other items. Our kids pick up very quickly what we value and what we expect of them. Do they see in us as husbands and as fathers and as men Encouraging them to love God, to respect authority, to live for God's glory more than to get a degree and a good paying job or to excel in sports. I'm not saying those things are wrong, but a greater reward is looking beyond the here and now. Expecting a greater reward, a growing contentment, satisfaction with life, position in life. Doesn't need to, or doesn't need more, doesn't need to accomplish more. They may need more, or they may get more, they may accomplish more, but they don't need it because they're content. The story is told of an American businessman visiting another country. And as he was visiting the country, he noticed a fisherman just sitting in the middle of the day, taking it easy. And the American businessman said to the fisherman, why are you not out fishing? The fisherman said, I caught enough for today to supply my needs for today. Well, don't you know that if you fished a little longer, you could catch more fish and you would have more money? And what would I do with my money? The fisherman asked. Well, then you could buy more boats and you could hire fishermen and you could have more money. And the fisherman said, why would I want to do that? Well, so that you can get more fishermen to work for you. You can have more boats and you can have more money 
And then someday you can sit back and take it easy and do nothing. And the fisherman said, that's what I'm doing now. I'm content where I am. Just being content. Some prosper, some don't. Some accomplish a lot, some don't accomplish a lot. But a greater reward, just a growing contentment where we are. Thinking about beyond the present determines present decisions in light of their long-term impact here and in eternity. We make a decision to buy a car. We make a decision to invest money. We make a decision to be involved in this activity. How's that going to influence me in the future? How's that going to influence eternity? Thinking beyond the present, the long-term impact of decisions. Recognizes the emptiness of the here and now. Money, toys, house, car, and so on. Nothing wrong with those items, that's not my point. But recognizes that they're empty. Guys, got a question for you. You get your dream set of wheels, a truck, a car, whatever it may be. And you have it for 35 years. And you say, I'm just content. I don't want anything else. Because I'm still enjoying this vehicle. It's more than enough. Now, if I got any sense whatsoever, most of us don't live that way, do we? We got to have something else. It's not wrong to have a car. It's not wrong to have a truck. It's not wrong to own a home. It's not wrong to have a good-paying job. It's not wrong to have a quad. But recognizing they're empty. They can't satisfy. If you have them, enjoy them. But they can't satisfy Leaving a legacy for one's children or grandchildren that they can be proud of, can follow, and can be blessed. Respects older men, asks good questions of them, and listens. If you're a teenage guy, I would encourage you to learn how to ask good questions of older men. If you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s, learn to ask good questions of older men. If you're in your 60s or 70s, learn to ask good questions of older men. And then listen. That's looking for the eternal. Because people who have lived longer than us and have walked with God have something to share. Listen. I learn. I love to get around older men and ask questions and just listen. And in relation to that, some of you may remember Gordon Lamoureux. Gordon Lamoureux was a quiet man. He didn't have a lot to say. And I heard many times that Gordon can't talk. He could talk, you know, but he didn't have a lot to say. Gordon had a lot to say. He could talk on for minute after minute after minute after minute after minute after minute. 
if you ask questions. I remember Gordon, going to visit Gordon in his later years of life, and I said, Gordon, I've got a question for you. About 15 minutes later, I'd say, Gordon, I've got another question for you. And about 20 minutes later, I'd say, Gordon, how about we read some prayer or read some scripture, and I'll pray with you, then I'll head out. Thanks for the visit. If I didn't ask, I would have never heard. Guys, learn from older people. Men, as we seek to be men who reject passivity, who accept responsibility, who lead courageously, who look for an eternal reward, there's an enemy called Satan that would do everything under the sun to discourage and to hinder and to try to stop you. As we seek to follow God, He'll remind us of our failures. He'll remind us of our sins. He'll remind us that we just aren't very good. And he'll do a host of other things. But persist. Let's pray together. Father, what we shared this morning may be much in the practical side, just as it relates to rejecting passivity, accepting responsibility, leading courageously, and looking for an eternal reward. But Father, that's rooted in so many passages of Scripture, rooted in observing the experience of men and husbands and fathers over the years, rooted in being sensitive to your spirit and how we live. Father, we want to be men who walk with you. Father, we have not arrived, but we're in process. Continue to work in our lives. Encourage us. And may we encourage one another counsel one another, spur one another on, contribute to the lives of others. And Father, I pray for the wives and mothers and girls represented here that they will pray for men, husbands, fathers, young men. They will seek to encourage when they see qualities that are good to spur the men they know to a deeper love for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.